every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Tara Clever, VP of Marketing at Margin Edge. Margin Edge delivers real-time data to restaurants to make timely, critical decisions. Tara has a diverse background in sales, operations, and marketing with a history of engineering significant growth. On this episode, Tara shares her insights into evoking customer emotion, why content has to be responsive to your customers, and why video marketing is vital for business growth. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Tara Clever and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Tara, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat Margin Edge. We're going to be talking about restaurant marketing, which is always fun, considering I feel like everybody's been to a restaurant and we all know marketing. So it makes for a fun combination there. We'll get into everything into your background as well. So how'd you get started in demand? Yeah, so it's actually a very winding road. Definitely not what I went to school for. I feel like a lot of marketers have degrees that they're like, oh, that's cute. But I thought at 18 or 22, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. So I am the proud owner of two degrees I no longer use anymore and actually got started in sales in the health and wellness industry. I think in a lot of cases over the course of my career, I've been handed a blank slate, figure it out kind of job, both in sales, marketing, and operations. And in all cases, I'm charged with the growth of either a department or a product. And then most literally landing in a marketing role with Territory Foods, which is a venture-backed nutrition company, probably my most literal demand gen role, but that was D2C. Margin Edge in many ways fell into my lap and is my first venture in to B2B marketing. It has been this really, really cool extension, some kind of hard-earned skill sets, I think, over the years from various backgrounds and various different types of roles that have really manifested in a way that we've got some really exciting outcomes and has been an incredibly cool moment in my career. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest demand and marketing <laughs> secrets. What does Margin Edge do? So Margin Edge is a restaurant management system. We digitize and streamline back office for restaurant operators. If you've ever had a job as a bartender or a server, or you know somebody who has, you understand that this vertical is an incredibly complex one. You have variable cost, variable revenue, a product that spoils variable labor. And of course, over the last couple of years, you add on top of that supply chain disruption, labor shortages, small little pandemic that didn't disrupt anybody. And so 
So the complications and the complexity of running a restaurant is more complex than ever. Margin Edge, what we do is we sync with your point of sale system accounting software and create real-time data insights to help empower operators run their business with a more data-driven approach. A lot of operators in the industry have gone off of gut, feel, instincts, relationship with vendors, handshakes, paper, pen, clipboards. And really what Margin Edge is charged with is bringing technology into the space and helping operators get back to the part of the business that they love, which is the hospitality community and serving their guests. You mentioned, you know, first bout with B2B, obviously pulling tons of lessons, I'm sure, from the B2C world and potentially even doing a little bit better of a job on some of those things. Tell me about those types of customers, those types of restaurants, what sizes are they and who's making those buying decisions? Yeah, so we typically work with independent restaurant chains. So think one to 50 units, typically independently owned and operated. So we deal with the mom and pop, single unit, family run restaurant, all the way up to 50 unit chains. It's interesting you say that. I couldn't have known when I took this job or stepped into this role with Margin Edge how much my background would help me think about demand gen and think about growth within this world. But operators, even though they are very savvy business people, most of them have a significant emotional investment in their business as well. <laughs> a lot of heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears go into running a restaurant. And so when you're thinking about messaging, when you're thinking about capturing their attention, and when you think about providing a solution, that emotional resonance that's so common that you see on the kind of the D to C side, it's absolutely the way that we think about things here. It's definitely it's a big change. And a lot of times for restaurants, it's a big piece of how we think about telling the story. And I'd imagine if they're, if it's the owner, a lot of times they don't have a sophisticated technology buying department or anything like that, right? It's a lot of those decisions are made saying, Hey, this has been a pain in my neck for the last six years. I got to do something about it. There's no question. I think the diversity of our audience is what makes our job and our company so cool and interesting and such an interesting way of thinking about growth. You absolutely have the cases where you have an owner operator who's making a decision based on maybe decades in the business. You have some young up and comers and fast growing chains looking for things to streamline their back office. And technology, it's not that it hasn't existed in hospitality before, but it's certainly going through a bit of a renaissance, the pandemic in many many ways became a forcing function in terms of technology literacy, technology adoption, and certainly those buying decisions have accelerated. We've certainly see that played out at Margin Edge. I think you can see that across kind of our tech, hospitality tech vertical. So yeah, we have a lot of different buyers, a lot of different reasons why they're coming to us for help. That's what makes things really fun. So tell me a little bit more about your marketing strategy and then how does demand fit within that? I started with Margin Edge 90 days before the pandemic oh, hit. So I was 90 days into a brand new shiny job where marketing had been essentially a sales support function and only a really small team, actually just a marketing associate out of college supporting the sales org. And they knew that it was time to think about marketing in terms of a more of a growth mindset and also bringing somebody in who could help think about the department more holistically. I came in, I was super excited, let's go. And then 
all of a sudden, all things shut down, all budgets are cut, the vertical that you are marketing to is literally closed. And so it was definitely a fascinating way to start. But the way that it has shaped the way we think about demand gen, I think is now an indelible mark on the soul and culture of our marketing department, because we really were forced to act in a really resource constrained way, especially for those first six or nine months, had to get very scrappy, very creative and measured everything that we did incredibly closely, which has then pulled through to even the way we think about things today. So coming from D to C, I tend to be a customer economic stalker. I am a big time reporting. I keep track of the numbers very closely. And that was certainly very required in the early days of the pandemic. What was cool though, is that even in those scrappy resource constrained moments, we were able to find a couple of channels and messages that really worked for us. And then by September of 2020, we were back to pre-COVID revenue. And by the end of 2020, we were at 40% year-over-year growth. And for companies serving restaurants, that was something we felt very good about. Hit our stride, really started accelerating based on the foundational principles that we had when we had no budget and when we were really having to to be creative and built on the things that worked in a way that I pride ourselves on being incredibly efficient. We saw 100% year-over-year growth in 2021, and we're on track for that this year too. And so it's been a really exciting year. Yeah, ride. and we'll get into some of the uncuttable budget items here in a second, but any things that, that stood mm-hmm. out to you as those efficiency focuses for you from a marketing perspective? Yeah. So in those early days, we really had no money. So I had MailChimp and that was it. <laughs> And so those with the early uncuttable budget was the only thing that we were spending money on. And so email became our singular channel, those early moments. Wow. What was cool about that, though, is it did provide a testing ground for messaging, especially in a moment where that was so emotionally raw to meet our operators, to meet our customers in a way that felt like we were in it with them. And I know at that time, it was so like, ugh, kind of cliche by the end. We're like, oh, we're in it together and everybody wash your hands and like that kind of nonsense. But because our CEO and a huge percentage of our team are all former restaurant operators, owners, chefs, executive chefs, our head of support is sommelier. These are folks who really understand the ethos of our vertical. And so our messaging was really crafted in a way that spoke. I think it proved out that it really spoke to the moment. And those are lessons that we've carried through even in years as the dust has kind of settled on the other side of it. So email was first. We started to see some nice growth, some nice legion conversions. We actually had a record-breaking quarter in quarter three of 2020, which I don't think we could have predicted really. And then we started to layer on some paid advertising on top of that. But we used what we learned in this email messages and in the calls to action and the responses and listening to the customer conversations to fuel our ad strategy. And so it was little by little, we'd find little channels that worked, we'd pour more into them. The case I made with our CFO and CEO was as long as I can prove that I'm bringing in more than $2 to every dollar I'm spending, I should be able to spend more and it made sense to them. And so that's really been our operating ethos ever since. That's incredible. I love it. What a use case for marketing as if we need to justify ourselves, especially with, you know, like a young company and one that's trying to put their flag in the ground to say, hey, we're going to invest in marketing and invest in a marketer like you and then to build that out. If it went the other way, like, oh, well, marketing doesn't work. But now it's like, hey, look at the results. That's exactly right. And I think in listening to your podcast and some of the conversations, certainly 
the demand gen perspective from a more established marketing department is very different than my lived experience is first in the role in many ways, building it from scratch. And in a way that those, I really had to prove the return on investment. And honestly, at this point, especially navigating what we have over the last couple of years, the conversations that we have, that I have with our leadership or with our board are so easy because the clear outcomes of the investment are, we have reporting around it. We have shared language around it. Everybody understands why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm given a huge amount of freedom to test and experiment, given the fact that our measurements are so disciplined that there's a really quick feedback loop. If something's not working, it's okay because we know quickly and we're able to move on. And that culture, I think, I couldn't have done anything if there wasn't an appetite from leadership, from my CEO and from our board to really let us go try, test, learn. And as long as the finances pulled through and the outcomes looked good, we were allowed to do more of it. So that's really where we've, that's how we've operated over the last two and a half years, almost three, actually. Let's go to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three uncuttable budget items? From from one budget item to now many, what are your uncuttables? The first and foremost, the incredibly talented people that are on our team. I work with the most resourceful, creative, scrappy, resilient, amazing, smart people. And nothing that we have accomplished over the last two and a half years would be even remotely possible if I did not have them. I would choose them as one, two, and three, actually. But since that defeats the purpose of this question, I'll I'll answer the others. I would say the other piece is kind of part and parcel with the customer listening, which is content, being able to be responsive to your customers and what they're going through in a way that lets you add real value in the message that you're you're providing to them. In the beginning of the pandemic, my CEO and I had a joke. It wasn't really a joke because it was true that we looked at everything that we put out into the world at that time. Is this hand washing? Are we telling people to wash their hands? If we're telling people to wash their hands, we do not need to put it out. Like, is it hand washing? And now brands are not telling people to wash their hands anymore, but we still use that phrase where it's like, it has to be unique. It has to be valuable. And it has to respect the intelligence and expertise of our industry. If we're telling them things they already know is not worth putting out, that's incredibly valuable. And then third, I would say our paid channels. Let us meet people as an... Again, hospitality tech's not really emerging. What we do in the space is, I would say, still a little bit on the early side of that center of the bell curve. And when I think about our paid channels allowing us to meet people who don't know that a solution like ours exists, it's an incredibly important part of our growth engine too. In this type market, I'm curious, like, how does video play into your content strategy? Because I've seen it work really well in SMB before. Oh my gosh, video is so important to us. I mean, first of all, I think anytime you're trying to tell a story, it's an incredibly valuable asset. But what we do, and again, this may just be our scrappy startup vibes, but we make an investment in the content and then we chop it up and use it 
a bunch of different ways. And so the B-roll from our video content we use to take our blogs and turn them into video assets. We're able to take our longer form videos and turn them into ads that perform really, really well for us across Facebook, which is a channel I didn't expect to work. I actually am on record as saying it wouldn't work and it is an incredibly valuable channel to us. Video has allowed us to bring forward our clients as the center of the spotlight. We would so much rather, as all of our photography is of our actual clients, we don't use any stock photography. Our video assets are a way for us to shine a spotlight on the people who are doing the really hard work and not on ourselves. And that always feels really right to us because we are here in service of operators, not to be the star of the show. I want to talk about the cost of creating that type of video content, but just like video content is expensive. Going on location you have to go on location. Like you can't do the Zoom type recording on a video platform. You got to go in person. You got to get the B-roll, then making the burger. You have to get all that stuff at the restaurant on location. So it seems like that could be something that potentially is really expensive if you don't do it the right way. Yeah. The production crew we work with is called Trifactor. And what I love about them is that they work on a flexible point system. So we sign up for a certain number of points. We're able to kind of like slice and dice those points and whatever our needs are for the quarter. So it's an ongoing subscription, which I love that helps our CFO be able to wrap her head around. It is a kind of just standard cost in our marketing budget. And it gives us an incredible amount of flexibility. I also think about that singular investment in the actual piece of content as an investment that actually serves across a lot of our channels. And so anytime I'm able to use the same asset in multiple places, especially when we see the return on investment and ads almost immediately. It's almost instantaneous when we roll out new ad assets with video associated with them. We see a really nice lift that in essence, it pays for itself. In our case, it definitely does. And those the software highlights and the animation, some of those things that live on our website has been an incredibly um, helpful part of our relationship with them, that it's not just a one trick pony. They can help us across a lot of different ways we think about video. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about content. It's almost always an uncuttable. And as a company that creates podcasts, video series, I think about a lot. But one of the things that I think is so cool about what you're talking about is that when you are creating video, like video is just like a medium, right? That's not like the delivered asset, right? It happens to be in video. Right. But the way that you can tell the stories of your customers has to be visual. You need to see the right. kitchen. You need to see the line cook. You need to see the, the establishing shot of the exterior. Like you have to have that stuff. Otherwise, and like, I don't know if you have any stats on this, but I'd imagine that like, if you were to create a video that didn't have an establishing shot, that didn't have the right B-roll, the different things and all that stuff, and a really good well-shot interview with the person, it would probably perform like exponentially worse. And I think that like, that's one of the things that people, depending on the type of thing, you don't need to watch you do this interview. You can listen on your car, but for those type of people, for restaurant people, they need to see that stuff to understand, to gain the whole picture of what they're looking at with like a case study or something. I couldn't agree with you more. And you, something that's like, hopefully the any marketers listening to this will like nerd out on this a little bit. We did a ton of testing around both photography and video assets. And when we started with a front of house or exterior shot, it was like, meh. We started with a back of house, like action shot, something in the back of house. It was so immediately identifiable by the operator as this is for me it. that it outperformed anything from the front of house. And so now, because we've worked with our video, our video crew and our kind of like 
lovely group of photographers that serve us in different markets, everyone understands the emotion that we're trying to capture. And it is absolutely that lived experience of somebody in the back of house. And it is such an immediate validation point for our brand to say, we get it. Everybody else would show you front of house. We're showing you back of house. And it means that we understand what's important to you. And that is, we learned that kind of the hard way, but from a lot of testing and a lot of analysis. And now that is our bread and butter. You won't see any front of house shots as any anchor points and visuals across the Gosh, board. Gosh, I love it. I was so wrong, but also a little bit right. Uh, I said establishing- <laughs> You were I, so right. I, I said establishing <laughs> shot. I just didn't know where it would be. I thought it was going to be in the exterior. That's uh, right. It's chopping onions. It is. It's chopping onions or like messing with paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the, and I don't know, I don't know if this is the same way for everyone who comes to the website, but if you go to marginedge.com and you see the first visual on the site is the dude with the mask, with the chopping onions, with the backwards hat. My wife used to be in service industry and stuff like that. I was back hanging with those folks all the time. It felt very real and lived in when I came to the website. And I know next to nothing about Gosh, restaurants. You could not have given me a bigger compliment. We just rolled out that website in, I guess it was May. And what I told the design firm that helped us with the website was that I wanted it to be tatted up tech. <laughs> I needed it to not feel like white and like gleaming and like Apple-y. I was like, I need it to feel technology. It needs to feel together. We want it to have personality. We wanted it to have grit. We wanted it to feel like representative of the people that we serve. And our photography brings that to life. Hopefully the website and the language brings that to life. But video is a huge piece of telling that yeah, story. Three chamber sink or whatever it's called and like all that stuff. We actually have a channel on our chat system where all of our former operators, we have a lot of former operators on our team are on the channel and we'll ask them, how do you say sync? How do you say, like, we will send things to them and be like, restaurant this up for us. Make sure that this sounds like somebody in the kitchen, not somebody from an office, like writing web copy. That's a very active part of our job is learning the lingo. Yeah. And it's a great lesson for marketers, right? It's the glycol system, I think is what it's called. It's a great lesson for marketers, right? Telling the story of the back of the house and understanding that, understanding the lingo, finding the right people who know how to speak that, especially if you don't come from that world. You said Facebook works really well for you and you didn't think it was going to? Yeah, I really didn't. I am on record as being a naysayer. And my first hire was a growth marketing manager and he came in and he is, gosh, such an asset. And he came in and he was like, I think we should try it. It's like, how would Facebook understand who our buyer is? Like, how would Facebook, nobody's like, I'm a operator in a restaurant on their Facebook profile. Maybe some are, but most wouldn't be. There's some incredible black magic happening in whatever algorithm that sits underneath that platform. I'm sure I'm not breaking news to anyone on this podcast, but for us, Facebook has been an incredibly powerful way to meet new audience, to meet new prospects, to meet a new audience. Obviously, search, paid search is a big part. Somebody Googling our features, we always want to be at the top of those search returns. But in terms of interrupting somebody's behavior, creating demands that didn't exist before, highlighting our content, telling our story, Facebook has been a massive impact for us. It's our second highest performing channel and continues to grow with us which has been really cool. So I want to go back to content for a quick second here about resources and that type of material. These are things, whether it be webinars, whether it be how-tos, whether it be calculators, all those like other resources, tools, and stuff that B2B marketers often play with. And SMB 
sometimes those work really well in terms of like a tool or a calculator. Other times there's not as much resource heavy content. It's just, I mean, again, it always depends. Um, But I'm curious for your industry, is it more like that they just want to get in and get solutions and get out of there? Or or are they coming to learn and grow too? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And my answer has evolved. In the early days, we were really focused on conversions. Truly, that was it. It was sign up for a demo, get in front of our sales team, let's make this happen. And as our team has grown, as our goals have grown, as our sophistication as a department has grown, we've been able to meet people farther and farther up the funnel. And that content story is a bigger and bigger piece of the pie. For us, we don't meet our operators the same place you would meet maybe like an HR professional buying enterprise payroll software. Like they're not on the LinkedIn's. I don't think they're watching a ton of webinars. It does help that Facebook and Instagram tend to be a very like visual storytelling platform. So we're able to do a lot of our content distribution there. We are moving more and more into these kind of kind of standalone value-based tools that people can download. We have like a food cost calculator that does really well for us. We have an ROI calculator that does really well for us. Those are always ungated. They're always as a standalone addition to like existing content. And I do think there's a world down the road where we do more like a podcast or webinars or participate in more of those things. But because of the way that we've grown our department, which has been incredibly methodical, I always look for opportunities where there's some space to make a new investment before I make it. When you think about our conversion, what's working now, it's like, okay, there will be an unlock where we're able to make those investments in some of those higher cost, both from a financial perspective and also time and bandwidth perspective. Like that is not a small piece of the equation for us. But I see that it has to be a step function ahead if we're going to continue to expand the audience, to expand our conversion, to continue the growth the way we have it mapped out over the next 24 months. Any budget items that maybe you're not investing in your stuff? I mean, you're kind of talking about some of maybe that long form stuff as maybe is nice to have, but not necessarily needs to have, but any other stuff that you're thinking about? We're making a pretty significant investment in formalizing our customer listening. And so by investment, it's somewhat financial, but it's mostly just a time and priority shift for our team. When we were smaller, it was easier to sit on a lot of demos, listen to a lot of conversations as we've grown, both within our department and across. That becomes a little harder. So we've made some formalized investments around what does it look like for our team to stay very, very close to our customers? What do the feedback loops look like for customer listening back into product, back into support? How do we take those insights and operationalize them to think about things like customer retention, customer success, even infusing our brand through the customer experience. What are hospitality touch points we can be listening for when somebody has an amazing life event? How do we celebrate that if they're going through tough times? How do we recognize that? We work in hospitality. These are the people who know your name and know what you drink before you sit down at the bar. It's really important to us that as we scale, we are able to hold on to that culture of hospitality and find intentional ways to infuse it through the customer experience. I am thinking a lot about that, how we invest in that, how we structure it, and how we make sure that it is a scalable piece of our marketing infrastructure that isn't just like, oh, we're interested in this today, but it's a nice to have that we really bake it into the way we think about growth. How do you view your website? 
We love our website. Our website's new. I would say our website is a. It's pretty uh, rad. I have to B1. say, I was gonna say, yeah, I, it's so really bad. good. I was, well, I, you know, it's always it's always tough when you come in. You don't know if it's like, did you just redo it or not? I tend to not yeah. walk on eggshells too much, and if I like the website, I'm going to say so. But I do think it's really rad. It has a really cool design and uh, well done. So kudos. You have no idea how happy that makes me. I will have to like take that sound bite, package it up and send it to the team that like sweated over this. It took us probably eight months to bring life to this project. We were not that these details probably don't matter, but like we were on a really, really, really broken website so much so that we couldn't optimize for SEO. We couldn't make any changes without breaking it. It was terrible. So this wasn't just a redesign. It was a complete overhaul and move to HubSpot. And so now we finally have flexibility and freedom that we never had before. I would say this is probably a V1 of our broader vision, one that we're really proud of. I want it to be wherever you meet us. I want our website to be a congruent and complementary piece of the story you've been told. So whether you've met somebody at a trade show, whether you've seen our ads, whether you've heard about us from a customer and you land on our website, I want the story that we tell about ourselves to match what they are hearing out in the marketplace. And it feels incredibly important to me that it also feels rooted in the experience of operators and with empathy for the complexity of the job that they do. And so, yes, is it about marketing software? Of course, it's about marketing software. Is it about converting to demos? Of course, it's converting demos. Of course it is. But it's my belief that those things are not as efficient or effective if it is not rooted in the emotional story and the experience of the person who's landing there. So I see our website as a, as a living, breathing, flexible, fluid extension of the story of our customers, of our clients, of our vertical, of the industry that we all love so much. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Whether that's with your board, your competitors, your sales team, or anyone else, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Tara? The thing that came to mind when I heard this question, early on in my career, I didn't realize that you could do a good enough job that broke things. I thought good job meant you did your job and only good things could happen as a result. And I can remember this one campaign we ran that worked so much better than we could have ever dreamed. We had not at all properly prepared any other department for what might be coming. We had this massive influx of customers. I'm celebrating and everyone is like, Tara, what have you done? Like ripple effects of impact of my behavior. And again, this was early. This is a lesson learned early on, but one I still take with me, which is to make sure that we're thinking about the customer experience as a result of a campaign as it impacts across departments, which I'm sure is a lesson most folks have learned. Maybe not as hard as I learned it, but we literally broke things, like broke things. It was a bad customer experience. It was a bad operator experience. It was operations experience. It was across the board, something that I didn't know that too good of a job could lead to very bad things. So now I try and go into any campaign with like, what if this goes poorly? But also what if this goes 
exceptionally well. And who needs to know about these two possible outcomes before we even launch it? So it is a lesson I hold very dear, although it was painful. Yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating concept because and funny, I was thinking about this earlier today, this exact thing, because you were talking about sort of like a viral sort of campaign. And how do you staff? How do you prepare? What tools do you have in, in place to be able to do that stuff? It's such a great point to make sure if you're one of those type of companies that you might have a campaign that, that really pops off that you're able to capture all the value and not send a bunch of people pissed off wishing they had free ice cream cone or whatever. God, it makes me sweaty just to even think about that again. It was really one of those things where it was like the highest of highs and then immediately like crashing down like all of these things that we didn't expect to happen and how differently it would have been handled if we had been able to like plan contingencies, but we really didn't think it was going to do anything. And so we just hadn't taken those steps. And now I do not play that game anymore. We track out best case and worst case scenarios and get everybody on the same page way ahead of time. (laughs) Okay, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how Quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster. Tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. It's quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. We love qualified. We love them dearly. Go to qualified.com and learn more. Quick hits, Terry, are you ready? I am. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I'm very, very, very good at interrupting any dog walk that is happening around me and greeting the dog a lot of times at the annoyance of the dog walker, but I'm incapable of stopping and I'm excellent at it. Favorite book, podcast, TV show, or something you've been checking out recently? I am just an avid, avid podcast listener. I would say Chris Walker's podcast on B2B marketing is actually pretty interesting. He's great. I think he does a pretty good job of really narrowing down on the economics and reporting. And I believe a lot of what he says to be true have found it to be true for us here at Margin Ed. So that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Shout out to him. Making great stuff. Great LinkedIn. We talk about it all the time on our marketing team. We're big fans. Dark social. All right. Best advice for a first time head of marketing trying to figure out their demand strategy. I would set expectations with whoever is in charge of you and your department. I really believe in transparency from day one with my CEO, with my CFO in terms of This is probably what it's going to look like. We're going to have some false starts, but we're going to have some really nice moments. We're going to double down on the nice moments. We're going to pull back on the false starts. And this is probably what my budget's going to look like in those first couple of months. If you understand that and can set expectations and create shared language with leadership who may or may not have a marketing background, it gives you the freedom and flexibility to say, see, this is what I was talking about. I told you there were going to be some things that didn't work, but here's the thing that did work. So I'm stopping those things. We're doing more of these things and here are the outcomes I expect here. And that has been an incredibly valuable way that I think about my relationship with leadership or whoever I'm working with interdepartmentally is being sure that what I'm looking at and the way I'm thinking about things does not exist in a silo, that it's something that's shared, there's transparency, and there's even some education so that folks understand what you're talking about in a way that you're not just a line item on a budget, you're not just an expense. They can understand what you're doing in terms of its contribution to the business. That's it. That's all we got for today. I forgot one thing, and that is I buried the lead here, that Tara is hiring 
So if you're a product marketer looking for a great place to work, check out Margin Edge. You can just, you can hit me up, you can hit Tara, but if you're a great product marketer, she's looking for brilliant folks. Yeah. Check out our glass door. We're very proud of it. Go read all the things. We're a great place to work. Awesome. Well, yeah, <laughs> we, we super appreciate you coming on the show. For our listeners, go to marginedge.com. Check it out. If you know someone in the restaurant business or restaurant industry, they got a restaurant, send them over that way. Tara, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, this has been so, so fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.